Father, thank you for bringing us together in this place that, that we might quiet our hearts in your holy presence and that we might open them to receive your word. Lord, you know us. We are at all different places in our spiritual journeys. Some here today need to call upon the, the saving name of the Lord Jesus and become purchased with his blood. And so, Father, we pray that you will send your word to them in the power of the Holy Spirit and that today they'll call on the name of Jesus Christ. And others with us in the room and online are somewhere where maybe they're confessing Christ, but they've been kind of cold and kind of spiritually dull and not real excited about their walk with you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that today you might use your word and your spirit to strengthen them, to lift up their hearts, to give them a passionate love for you and your kingdom. And then there are others who are very spiritually strong today. Feed and nourish their souls, we pray. We all look up to you, asking that your word would find its mark in our hearts, for we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, so you might want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. But I'm going to start off by reading a verse from the book of Hebrews. It's actually the opening verse. Hebrews was written to, as the name implies, Hebrew Christians of the first century, some of whom were thinking of going back from Christ and back into uh, Hebrew worship. And so the author opens his book and says this to them. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he's saying to those first century Hebrew believers, look back into your Old Testament, look back into the days of your spiritual fathers, and you'll see that God spoke to them in various times and in many different ways. Now it's that phrase in many different ways that I want to get to. One of the ways in which God has spoken to some of his people not everybody, don't expect them to do this to you, but some certain people down through time to whom he wanted to give revelation, one of the ways he's spoken to them is through a vision. He would give them a vision. And what is a vision? It is an audio-visual experience, so you see things and you hear things that aren't really there. It's kind of like dreaming, but you're awake. And you know how in dreams you see things, but they mean something, you see something and it changes into something else and everything kind of morphs around and gets confusing sometimes. That's what it is in a vision. In a vision, you see something, but it represents something else. And sometimes it turns into something else. And we're going to see that happening in the part of John's vision that we look at today. So this is John, the book of Revelation. We're in chapter six, and God is giving him a series of visions to reveal truth to everybody who gets a hold of a Bible and reads it and understands. Now we're in that part of John's vision that is found in Revelation chapter six. And it's rather famous for what are known as the four horses of the apocalypse. Have you heard of those? So there are these four horses. Here's what happens. John sees there's God the Father on his throne. In his right hand, there's a scroll all rolled up. It has writing on the outside, writing on the inside, and it's sealed with seven seals. And only the lamb, Jesus Christ, who has just offered himself as a sacrifice for his people, has risen from the dead, has ascended to the right hand of the Father. The lamb arrives just in time, and only he is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals so that the things that are inside of that scroll can be revealed. 
sealed. So the Lord Jesus takes the scroll and breaks off seal number one. And what happens? Out of the scroll, instead of like reading the words, we see the thing. It's projected. It's a vision. And out of the scroll come these four horses, the four horses of the apocalypse. Now, last week we saw the first one. It's a white horse, and it symbolizes war and murder and persecution. So what the horses are answering for those people and for us is, what's it going to be like now? Now, Lord Jesus, there they are in the first century, you came and walked among us, you, you died a sacrificial death, you, you were raised to be victor over death, you appeared to many, you've ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, looking forward in history, what should we expect? That was their, their question. They had no idea. Is it going to be like three days and you're bringing in your kingdom and then there's no more kings and no more authorities and no more death and no more wars? And What's it going to be? We kind of know because we can look back at 2,000 years of church history and say, oh, I see what it is. And what we see is exactly what's in the book of Revelation. But they couldn't see it looking forward. So this is a revelation to tell them, here's what life is going to be like for believers on the planet from now till Jesus comes again. Now, I'm aware of the fact that I can't go into endless details. I'm aware of the fact that some believers believe the whole book is fulfilled in the future. I'm aware of the fact that some believers feel the whole book was fulfilled in the past, and I'm in that category of believers who believe it's being fulfilled all the way down through the church age. If you're in a different category, bless you, I love you, you're just going to get to hear a different view on uh, how some of your brothers and sisters in Christ understand the book of Revelation. So I see it as inter it's, it starts with the death of Christ at his first coming, and it ends with the appearance of Christ at his second coming. That's the book of Revelation. So the first white horse tells us there's going to be war and murder and persecution all down through that age. The second horse that we saw last week is a red horse. It takes peace away from the dwellers on the earth. It comes in red. It's bloody, and there are going to be weapons and war and murder. The third horse is a black horse. It signifies famine, shortage of food, extreme inflation, hard to provide for yourself and your family. So those are the first three horses, the white, the red, and the black. Now we come to the fourth horse that comes out as Jesus is opening the seals on the scroll. So here we go, Revelation chapter 6. And John says, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Now, some of you might know, and some of you might have versions that indicate this. The word pale is actually a word for a sickish color of green. It's a pale green. This word is used elsewhere in the Bible. It's even used of the grass up on... Um, up on the mountain where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. But here it's a pale, sickish green, the green that you get when you have died and you've been lying there for a while and you've seen someone who's passed away, they turn this kind of sickly shade of green. That's the shade he's talking about. I looked and behold a pale horse, a green horse. It looked like death. And sure enough, its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. So death is, well, you know what death is. It's death. And what is Hades? Hades is the place of the dead. Hades is where dead people go, especially in old covenant terminology, but it remains the case in our day as well. So this fourth horse is the pale horse. It looks like death. Its name is death, and the place of the dead follows after it. Now let's read on. And they were given authority. Remember one of the phrases we see over and over in the book of Revelation? It was given to them. Throne, 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 throne. And from the throne, it's given to them. It's given to them. It's given to them. And here we have death and Hades. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth 
to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. All right, so if you're a futurist, and I'm sorry, I have to do this to click in from one view to another so you all feel respected and represented, and so you know I understand that view. If you're a futurist and you think it's all happening at the end of the church age, then your understanding here is the Lord Jesus will come and receive his church unto himself before seven years of awful tribulation occur on the planet. Those are described in your view by all of the book of Revelation. And in that time, there's going to be a period where a fourth of the earth is killed. Boom, they go, they're gone. So that's the view some of you might hold. Bless you. Uh, I'm an inner Adventist guy, and I believe this is saying, if you want to look at all the time, and they're looking ahead, what's going to happen? Are we going to live or die? What's going on? And he's telling us here that, well, there are going to be a whole lot of people. Not everybody. He just says a fourth. doesn't mean precisely exactly one-fourth of all people. It's just saying, not everybody, but a significant portion of everybody. Here's what's going to happen all down through the age. People are going to get killed by swords and by famines and by pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Have they in fact? Well, I just thought I'd do a little math. By the way, it's fun. Every time I do math, I make mistakes and somebody gently corrects me. So thank you for that. And, and every time I do math, even if I lift numbers from reputable places, somebody approaches me and says, oh, that number's wrong. It's not 30,000, it's 60,000. So I always get corrected for my math. Thank you all for keeping an eye on me. I appreciate that. Here's the best math I have for today, all right? How many people die by sword? Sword represents weapons. Take all weapons together. How many people die every year on our planet by sword, by weapons? And the answer is 500,000 die by murder alone. That's not counting wars, everything else. 500,000 people are murdered on our planet, and that's been a pretty consistent number for quite some time now. That's a lot of murders. And they were wondering, what's the age going to be like? And John's telling us, and God's showing John, that, well, there's going to be a lot of murders. A lot of people are going to die by swords. In 2020, 50,000 people died from war. And that's not a big war number. There's way bigger war numbers in different epochs. But in 2020, 50,000 people died from war, from the sword. How about famine? Every year, this is staggering, 9 million people die of starvation. They just can't get their hands on food. Nine million people, someone like you, and you're starving, and your wife's starving, and your kids are starving, and you just can't manage to find food. Every year, nine million people starve to death. What about the wild beasts part? People die by wild beasts. Which animal, this would be interesting, which animal do you think is responsible for the most human deaths every year? A cat. Our cat. <laughs> maybe a lion. I think they kill 100 a year. But no, maybe this doesn't count as a wild beast. Mosquitoes. It's mosquitoes. We had a guy right there in the first hour. He guessed it. Mosquitoes are responsible for 1 million deaths a year. Snakes for 50,000 deaths a year. Dogs kill 25,000 people a year. Crocodiles kill 1,000 people a year. Imagine a crocodile gets a hold of you. Lions kill 100 people a year. Sharks, guess how many? Five. 10. So stop worrying about sharks. Watch out for mosquitoes. That's my advice to you. 
But this is the fourth horse. John sees death by sword, death by famine, death by pestilence, death by beasts. What will happen, Lord, going forward? What's it going to be like? Is this where your kingdom comes in? Is all death going away now? And the Lord reveals to John who reveals to us, oh, no, no, it's going to be a rough time on the planet. People dying by starvation, people dying by weapons, people dying by mosquito bites and snake bites and dog bites and everything else. So the four horses taken together tell us it's going to be a rough time on the planet. It is not a friendly place to live. But we're to remember throne, 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 throne. It's all under the throne. And no dog bites you unless it was given to them. And no mosquito bites you unless it was given to them. And no sword gets you unless it was given to them. So what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. God is going to be sovereign on his throne, working all things according to the counsel of his will. But you're going to live on a rough planet. You're going to experience rough times. So just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and hang on to your seat. It's going to be a wild ride. Okay. Now, there's a fifth seal that gets broken. But this time, a horse does not come out. Seals one, two, three, four had horses one, two, three, four. Now we come to a fifth seal. The lamb is opening the fifth seal on the scroll. And this one is different. There's no horse. What happens with the fifth seal? In the fifth seal, we leave what's happening on the planet. That horse, that horse, that horse, that horse, death, war, destruction, blood, swords and things. We leave what's on the planet, and with the fifth seal, we go up into heaven. Remember in the book of Revelation, we're going to be up in heaven and back down on the earth, and up in heaven and back down on the earth. So we leave the earth, and we go up in heaven, and what we see there is the reaction of martyrs, people who died for their faith. We see what's going on with the martyrs up there while all that destruction is happening down here. So we're going to go see those who had sealed their testimony of saving faith in Jesus Christ with their blood. Let's go to Revelation 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So notice, suddenly, because it's, it's, it's a dream, but you're awake. Suddenly, there's an altar. There wasn't an altar before. There was a throne. There was a lamb. There were, there were elders. There were angels. But all of a sudden, there's an altar. So now there's an altar in the vision. And under the altar, like in the place of safety, like we've been covered by the blood and nothing can get us under here because this is God's altar, are the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God. This is the first century, and it was a bad time under the emperor Diocletian, and people were being slain for their refusal to say Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God. They were being slain for the refusal to go into the temple and offer up some kind of sacrifice or incense to the idol. This was the cost of being a believer for many believers in that day. Deny Christ or you're dead. And many of them said, well, then I'm dead. Well, now there's a wife left behind, and she's wondering, well, you know, Lord, what's the revelation here? Where's my husband? What's going on with him? How should I feel about him? Now we're taken up to answer that question. Let's, let's answer that widow. Let's show her where her man went. And he's up there under the altar, he who had been slain because he stuck with the word of God, because he stuck with his testimony that he had borne for Jesus Christ. Before we leave that verse, may I just remind you, I did get this math wrong a few weeks ago, and one of you graciously told me, and I did the math, and I came up with 30 martyrs a day on the planet now. 
but I was wrong and you were right. It is 19. All right, it's a big deal, right? I got 30. It's 19. But they were right. They were right. Thank you for telling me. 19 people a day seal their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ with their blood. Imagine that was you, your husband, your wife, your friends. Imagine this, you know, Pastor Carl, I just happened to glance at Pastor, imagine, Jordana, don't listen to this part. Pastor Carl, you know, is taken out today. What, what effect would that have on our lives? What effect would that have on our church? And this was happening to them. And so they had these burning questions. Well, where, where do they go? Where are they? What's the plan here? And here we're seeing what, what they're doing up in heaven. We see Revelation 6.10. And, and they, from under the altar, they cried out with a loud voice because they're really feeling this. And here's what they say. Oh, sovereign Lord. Because remember, he's on the throne, 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 throne. And from him it is given, it is given, it is given. So they know who to pray to. And they say, they say to him on the throne, oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. And then here's their question. How long? See, they didn't know. We know it's been 2,000 years. They didn't know. We don't know how much longer it's going to be. So we don't know either. And here was their question. Oh, sovereign Lord, how long is it going to be before you will judge and avenge our blood on those Bad people who killed us down on the earth. How long is it going to be? That's their question. And it's answered, Revelation 6, 11. Let's look at it. Then they were each given a white robe. What's that? What's that signify? It's symbolic. What's it signify? A white, white. Giving you a hint there. White. Right. What does white signify in the Bible? Purity. Yes, holiness. So, so my husband was taken out and, and I'm down here with the kids and we're scratching for food and I don't know where he is, what's going on. Well, he's up there under the altar in a place of safety, but he's wondering how long and God comforts him by saying, you are righteous in Christ. You are holy in my sight. You are blameless and unreprovable before me because you are in Christ, washed clean by his shed blood. They are your husband, ma'am is in a place where he is holy. He's no longer facing temptations. No more fiery darts whizzing past his head. No more wounding his own conscience and repenting. No more repenting. Won't that be great? No more repenting because they're holy, they're white. No more grieving the spirit of God. No more breaking God's commandments. White robes. The righteousness of believers. And there's more. And they were, they were each given a white robe and told, I like this, to rest. Rest. Carl, rest. Just rest. Where's my husband? He's at rest. He's under the altar. He's with God. He's holy now. And he's resting. Okay. Okay. I can take that. And, and notice this. I like this. It's important. Uh, they're going to rest until the number, there's a number, 
until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So it's not done yet. This place is still a killing field and there's a number. God has a specific number. When we get to that number, then it's the last day, then no more martyrs, then no more killing, but the number hasn't been filled yet. Right now it's filling up at 19 a day and 19 tomorrow and 19 the next day. Maybe that number will get way bigger someday. Maybe it'll get smaller someday. But there's a number. God knows the exact number, just as he knows the hairs on your head. They're numbered. I have no clue how many hairs are on my head, but God knows the exact number, and he knows the exact number from all eternity because he has ordained it. He knows who will be martyred, how they'll be martyred, when they'll be martyred, how the remaining wife will be cared for, how the church will provide for her or whatever. He knows all of this because he's a sovereign Lord. And so they're told, here's a white robe and rest a little while till the number is filled up. And that's what they do. They rest. How long? How long is their question? And he says, till the number is filled up. So we don't know how long that is. It's till the number. We don't know how many more days of martyrs, 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 martyrs there will be. It's till the number. And it's given to them. Anybody who kills a martyr, it's given to them. That's the only reason they could do it. God in his sovereignty chose to allow it so that they could now be in holiness, so they could now be at rest, so they could now be in heaven. So that's the fifth seal. It is about the present state, in my view, of the martyrs of all ages. They're with him. They're with him. Now we come to the next seal. It's the sixth. The sixth seal. Revelation 6, 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked. And behold, how many times those words appear in Revelation because he keeps seeing things in this vision state. After that, I, I looked and behold, and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. What's that? What, what day are we in? Where is that in human history or in earth history? What's the day? Yeah, judgment day. That's the last day. So in these first six seals, we have gone from the lamb just appears in heaven having died on the cross. He's worthy now to take the scroll and reveal what comes next. And now we've revealed our way all the way down. We're going to the last day. Maybe because the martyrs are crying out, how long? And God says, let me show you. I'll take you down there. Let me show you what it looks like. Here's what's going to happen. And to read on, Revelation 6, 14. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is all definitely in the Bible, last day, judgment day terminology. Those exact same things happen in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Habakkuk. In Matthew 24 with the Lord Jesus, in Acts chapter 2, and in 2 Peter with Peter, all of those are at the last day. So there's no doubt we're at the last day here. We're at judgment day. Those things are going to happen till the number's filled up. When's that? It's going to be the last day. It's going to be at the judgment day. Let's go there and see more about it, Revelation 6, 15. Then, remember the martyrs want to know, how long till they get theirs? How long till you take vengeance on them? How long till there's justice here? Then, when we get to that day, that's how long. Then, the kings of the earth 
and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful. Now, it's not that it's evil to be a general. It's not that it's evil to be a king. It's not that it's evil to be rich and powerful. It's that they were the people persecuting Christians. They were the ones who had the authority of the sword. They're the ones who killed your husband. Then those people, the oppressors, oppressors of the brothers and sisters in Christ, and everyone, slave and free, here's what happens to them. They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They're hiding. Let's go ahead and read the next verse, next slide. And they're calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face. See, they don't want to see his face because they know they're not right with him. Remember chapter or so ago, Jesus appears as the lamb of God, but then the lamb moves a little and all of a sudden he has seven horns. What did those seven horns mean? This is one fierce lamb. He's not the little, oh, cute little lamby, lamby, let me hold him. No, no, no. This, this is a lamb that can hurt you. And if you meet him while you're in your sins and you're rejecting him as Lord and God and Savior of your soul, it's not going to be a good day when you meet him. And these people sense that. And they're calling on mountains, rocks, anything. Follow me. Hide us from the face of him on the throne. That's the Father. They don't want to see that face. And from the wrath of the lamb. The lamb has wrath. He's not just all lovey-dovey, cute little lamb. Come here, let me hold you. Oh, look at the lamb. No, this, he has seven horns. He's got wrath. Righteous, holy, just indignation of God against unrepentant sinners. And God the Father, they don't even want to see his face. It's a fearful thing to see that face if you don't love him. And from the wrath of the Lamb. Why? For the great day of their wrath. See, what could be more clear? We're at the last day. The great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? By the way, who else in the, in the Bible tried to hide from God? Who were the first people in the Bible who tried to hide from God? Yeah, remember that? Like, what sin did to our brains? How fast we became dumb like they're thinking, all right, we, we violated his commandment. We took the fruit, we ate it, and now we're not right with him anymore. So, but, oh, he's coming. Let's hide behind a tree. Like how dumb is that? The creator of the heavens and the earth, he gives us life and sustains us, but we can hide from him behind a tree. And by the last day, the human race hasn't evolved very much because once again, they're, they're hiding. This time it's mountains and rocks. But anything but that face because they don't love him and they don't want him and they don't want him to be their God. Something I want you to notice here and to the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. There is a day coming, you will be there. There is no escaping of that day. There is no escaping of that place. It is called the great day of his wrath. You will not want to see the face of the Father on the throne unless you're in Jesus Christ and you'll love that face then and it'll be a welcoming face and a fatherly face. You will not want to see the seven-horned lamb on that day if you're not in Christ, if you're not right with him by his grace through faith. A day is coming. It is the great day of their wrath. And you, and this is not dramatic, this is the truth, you only know that you have two days 
you have this day because you're here, so you've got this day, and you know you'll be at that day. And you don't know if you have any other day. So this might be your last day before you arrive there. That's not being crazy. And that means this day is given to you. It's given to you that you might use your time this day to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus so you'll be all prepared to appear before him in that day. Time is given to you, this time, this day, to prepare your soul for the presence of God. It's either a presence you will fear and want to hide from, or it's a presence you will love and embrace. It all depends on do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are you saved? That's what it comes down to. So these people ask, how long? And John says, and God says through John, well, let me show you. I'm not gonna tell you the years, but here's when it ends. So there's gonna be persecution. There's gonna be martyrs all the way down through 19 today and 19 tomorrow, 19 another day and maybe 2,000 someday, all the way down to the last day, and that's when it ends, and there will be judgment, and they're not getting away with it. That's what God is saying. He's comforting his martyrs saying, I will deal with this. I don't settle all of my accounts, God might say, when you want me to. I settle all my accounts in my own time, he might say. So this is very important. Arrive at that last day with Jesus Christ who delivers us from the wrath to come, who covers us by his blood, who puts us under the altar in the safety of that place, who by grace forgives fallen sinners like us. So these are, these are the first six seals. Now what about the seventh seal? It's gonna be more destruction. It's gonna be more death. It's gonna be more blood. It's gonna be more war. But before we go to it, at the end of chapter six, they just asked God a question, and the question was, the, the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Like, who can survive that day? And so we get chapter seven as a kind of an interlude. Before we get to the seventh seal, hope you can track with all this, we have chapter seven that gives us an interlude. Before we get down to the last day, we have an interlude. And in this interlude, we are told who can stand in the last day. Here's who can stand. To give you the Cliff Notes version, it's those who have the seal of God. Those who are sealed by God in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who can stand at the last day. Let's look at it. Revelation 7.1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. They're holding back the destruction that we just read about. They're holding back the destruction that we're about to read about. They're holding back the destruction that culminates in the last day. And they're not allowing that to happen on earth or sea or against any of the, the plants of the sea. They're not allowing all that bad stuff to happen until something happens first. Let's go to Revelation 7, 4. And an angel was saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So there's going to be a seal on their forehead. Just like there were seals on the scroll, there's going to be a seal like that on somebody's forehead. And, and in this interlude, we're up in heaven still, and we're asking the question, who can stand with all this? Who can stick with Christ? Who cannot turn back? Who cannot deny him? 
Who can go ahead and let themselves be martyred for the faith? And who can stand at the last day? Who can survive all that in Christ? And the answer is those who have the seal. Now, if you're a futurist and a very, very literalist, here's how you understand that. Bless you. I'm not going to fight with you. You may be right, but I don't think you are. But anyway, you view it this way. All of this is happening down in this seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. The Lord Jesus has taken believers out of the planet, and then all hell breaks loose. The book of Revelation happens, and during that time, that's when, uh, that's when, when, when these things happen. It's all down during that time. And you see there are going to be believers in there who are going to have this mark, this seal, literally on their head. Like you'll walk around and go, oh, God, I'm going to Carl again. There's Carl. He's got the mark. So I know he's a believer. There's Jenna. She's got it. There's Aaron, my son. He's, he's got that mark right there. There's Alyssa. She got, and you'll be able to tell who believers are. So if you're a futurist, that's probably your position. Bless you. I don't want to fight. But I'm not a futurist, I'm an inter-Adventist, and I believe this is symbolic, and I think it means in the vision John is seeing, all right, I can tell who the believers are. Look at this, in my vision, they have this mark on them. He's got the mark, he's, he's a believer, he's a believer, he's a believer, and he can tell who the people of God are, and he knows they're not able, they're not allowed to let all that destruction happen or that destruction happen until that one and that one and that one and that one gets his seal. So, all right. Here's the question. What is the seal? What is the seal? Well, can you think of anywhere else in the New Testament, somewhere that John might have read that uses the word seal? Ah, you can. Bless you. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at it. Verses 13, 14, thereabouts. And you, believers in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the seal, who is the guarantee. What do you get with that seal? You get a guarantee of inheritance. You're in Christ. You are secure in him. You will persevere. You'll keep on believing. You'll keep on repenting. You'll keep on following Christ because God, by his Holy Spirit in you, causes you to. These are the ones who can stand, and only these. Others without the seal will deny Christ. Others without the seal will ignore Christ. Others without the seal will turn away. They'll save their lives rather than allow themselves to be martyred. They won't stand at the last day. They'll fear that awful face because they know they're not right with him. But those who have the seal, that is the Holy Spirit, has regenerated them and has given them life. And as, as it were, take, he takes an envelope, God's envelope of grace, and he puts you in it and he seals it shut. And you are sealed you are locked into the grace of God. So that's the seal. Again, Ephesians 4.30. Let's look at it. And, you, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's the seal about? It's about keeping you in Christ all the way down to that day. It's about keeping you from turning away, from becoming an apostate. You still, how come you still believe? How come you're still repentant? How come you're still following Christ? Because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And everybody with that seal is, is visible to John in his vision. But we don't really get a mark on our heads. We don't walk around with you know, something right here. By the way, later in the book of Revelation, John kind of sees this seal in a little different light. Let's look at Revelation 14.1. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, we'll get to that number someday, that'll be interesting, who had his name 
and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now again, if you're a futurist and if you're a literalist, you probably say, all right, there's going to be exactly 144,000 people and they're going to have stuff written right on their forehead. God the Father, God the Son, or something like that. All right, maybe you're right. Maybe we'll both be there at that last day and you can say to me, ha ha, I told you so. We'll all be there with writing on our heads. But I think this is a vision and I think John is telling us the seal, the mark that I could visibly see was they each had the name of God the Father and they each had the name of God the Son written right on them and the seal was God the Holy Spirit. So this is how anybody can stand and not turn back. This is how they can persevere and keep believing Christ even though that guy's a martyr and that guy's a martyr and my wife was a martyr and how can I keep on believing? This is how they can stand at the last day. They have the mark, they have the seal, they have the Holy Spirit. Here's a little bit more about how the Holy Spirit keeps us in the faith. He's the mark, he's the seal. First John, this is John, First John chapter 2. And we read in verses 19 and 20, he's writing about people who have gone away from Christ, people who have left off following Christ. We call them apostates. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. See, they weren't really one of us. They looked like they were, but they weren't. If we had seen them in John's vision, they wouldn't have had the mark, the seal, the name of God on their foreheads, even though they said, Lord, Lord. No, no, they went out from us that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you, you have been anointed by the Holy One. What's the anointing of God? It's the Holy Spirit. You have the seal. You have the mark. You're kept. That's why you don't leave Christ. That's why you keep fellowshipping with the people of God. That's why you're willing to suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. And you all have knowledge, meaning profound saving knowledge of the things of God in your soul. So that's what's going on here. Suffering in chapter six, suffering in chapter eight, last day, how can anybody stand? Who can survive all this? Answer of chapter seven, those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, they will stand, they will persevere. And they will be in good stead at the last day. And none of this destruction touches their souls. You want to be in that number. You want to be one of those. Lord Jesus, save me and seal, put me in your envelope of grace and seal me in there so I'll be safe down through earth safe from denying you, and I'll be safe at the last day, and I'll love to see your face. And I won't receive the wrath of the Lamb. I'll receive the love of the Lamb. Okay, back to the book of Revelation, and let me just tantalize you a little bit so maybe you'll come back next week. Revelation 7 and verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. Huh, there's that number again. Sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. You want to know, don't you? Who are they? What's the 144,000 all about? And for that, my friends, you must come next week. Slide man, take us down to the last, please. Life on the planet will be rough. What do we learn? What are we learning from the book of Revelation? They didn't know. We know. We can confirm. The book is right. Life on the planet will be rough. 
What's the worst of rough? Killing, sword, blood, murder, war. And if it's going to be that rough, there's lesser roughs too. All the evils of life on the planet are going to continue all down until Jesus comes. It'll be rough. Don't expect God to put you in a rough, free zone. Like, Lord, I love you. I'm following you. How come you're letting rough things happen to me? You're on the planet. As long as you're still on the planet, it's going to be rough. Expect it. Peter says, don't be surprised when some fiery trial befalls you. Why, Lord, I'm one of your followers. Why would you let this happen to me? We do that all the time, don't we? We have this little sense of justice, like God owes me something because I'm believing on Jesus. <laughs> no, life on the planet's going to be rough. Even the most sincere, heartfelt follower of Jesus Christ, your life can be very rough but the grace of God will sustain you and the spirit of God will keep you. Second point. First, life on the planet will be rough. Second, back one slide again, please. Back up. Thank you. But many will believe. We didn't see this yet, but at least 144,000 will believe. And the 144,000 in that vision kind of migrates into and a great multitude which no one could number from every kindred tribe people and tongue so what's going to happen down through the age there's going to be lots of suffering 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 war blood murder swords and all the rest there's going to be martyrs but at the same time a whole lot of people are going to believe on the lord jesus christ and be saved and you can be part of that number and you should be you just call upon his saving name many will believe and then last slide please and true believers will be kept by God. They're kept. Many of you have the mark. If I had John's vision eyes, I could see the mark. Right there. There's a mark, there's a mark, there's a mark. And you'll be kept. And you're kept, Peter says, through faith. You're kept as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is going to be life on the planet. It is my prayer, it is our prayer, and we're about to pray it that you will be a true follower of Jesus Christ, that you use this day for that day, and that you arrive at that day glad to see his face. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us Bibles where we may have your word and know your truth. We pray for people in this room right now and people with us online who are not yet your blood-bought children through the blood of Christ. Would you please, would you draw them powerfully now? May your word accomplish what you intend and the purposes for which you have sent it. May it not return to you in vain. Would you put it in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls who hear this message? to say, Lord Jesus, I turn, I repent, I turn to you that you would be my God and my Savior, and I'm calling upon your saving name, I'm believing in your saving work on the cross. Please, Lord Jesus, by grace, would you have me? Would you forgive me? Lord Jesus, I want to stand. I want to be able to stand at the last day and love the face of God. Father, thank you for the communion table that we come to now. Warm our hearts by it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Stan, would you lead us, please? 
Thank you, Steve. Those of you